Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because uh, he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. And all who saw it began to grumble and said, he's gone to the He's gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood there, said to the Lord, Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. And then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. The Gospel of the Lord. Let us pray. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. So the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. And that's the good news. And there is no bad news here. Jesus came to look for and to save the lost. Maybe you've heard the song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Jesus came to seek out the lost, but today we begin with Zacchaeus who was seeking out Jesus, the Lord he wanted to see. Through this moment, a man is able to overcome all of the labels the community used to define him, to hear from Jesus that no matter what, he belongs in God's family. Jesus teaches us all a lesson here about opening ourselves and opening our family of faith to those unlike ourselves and becoming a redemptive community. So uh, someone said, let's pray for our nation today. Uh, Thursday, something pretty major happened in the history of our nation. I don't know if all of you heard about this, but the United States House of Representatives voted to formally begin the presidential impeachment process. The impeachment of a president is fortunately very rare, and it's also very, very divisive. In fact, the vote on Thursday was pretty much split down the party lines. 
The representatives, they took turns giving speeches. The Democrats and the Republicans, they took turns criticizing the process, criticizing each other, lamenting about the potential crimes committed by the president and the damage done to our system of government. Fingers were pointed and wagged at the other side. Where there was agreement was the fact that this is a sad and somber occasion. All who were present grumbled. That day, Jesus arrived in Jericho and Zacchaeus climbed up that, that sycamore tree. All who were present, all who saw it, grumbled. But that was no sad and somber day. For that day, said Jesus, salvation came to this house. But all who saw it grumbled. And as it turned out, all who saw it also never forgot the significance of the day that Jesus called the chief tax collector by name. Zacchaeus, hurry down from up there. I'm staying at your house today. We've talked about grumblers a few times in our journey with Luke through the story of Jesus. Grumbling is what the Pharisees and scribes do every time Jesus gets close to tax collectors. They grumble back in chapter 5 when Jesus uh, saw a tax collector named Levi and called Levi to be a follower of him. And Levi was so excited, he threw Jesus a party and invited all of his tax collector friends. And so they grumbled. Then again, in chapter 15, grumbling is what the Pharisees and scribes do when tax collectors and sinners gather around Jesus to listen to him. And grumbling in our text today is now what everybody does when Jesus is welcomed into the chief tax collector Zacchaeus' home. And grumbling happens in other parts of the Bible, too. Uh, in the Bible, people grumble when their hopes are disappointed. And grumbling in the Bible has a stronger sense than, 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 than the word grumbling in our English language. I'm sure that we have all grumbled about things. We grumble about taxes, probably. I grumble about the slow internet and the leaky roof at both home and church. Have you ever grumbled about missing a green light? Yeah. Grumbling maybe is what we do if coach won't put us in the game. We've been ready for this moment. Why won't he put me in? Or maybe it's what we do when mom or dad can't buy those new shoes. Grumble. And maybe th those are significant issues for us. But in, in, the, in the Bible, grumbling is about some really major, major stuff too. What do you do when you learn that your insurance isn't going to cover everything you expected? What do you do when your housing application is postponed again? What do you do when you're accused of something that you know that you didn't do? What do you do when you witness a major injustice? Or it seems that God isn't listening to you. These are major struggles, and that's what causes grumbling in the Bible. 
In the Bible, the people of Israel grumble when they think that they are all going to die in the wilderness. Or when Jesus asks really hard stuff of his disciples, like love your enemy, forgive as you have been forgiven. They grumble. And all grumbled when Jesus went to Zacchaeus' house for supper. Maybe there was some light eye rolling, but also there was a sense of outrage. And this time it wasn't just the scribes and the Pharisees. All who saw it said, he's gone to the house of a sinner. Now, we don't know too much about Zacchaeus, but, but there is obviously a major brokenness between him and his community. There was a collective outrage just because of Jesus's simple engagement with Zacchaeus. Which brings me to a, a very uncomfortable question. What could Jesus do that would cause you to grumble? To whom could Jesus show the kind of affection that he showed Zacchaeus that would cause you to be outraged? I've got a list. I'm sure we all do. Everything Luke tells us right away about Zacchaeus sets him up to be complicating. First, his name, Zacchaeus. It literally means clean and pure, clean and innocent. But then we learn that he was a powerful and wealthy person. But as the chief tax collector, he likely came by that power and wealth in morally shady ways. He worked for the Roman Empire. Rome commissioned him to collect payment from the citizens of his own community, and then he would pay the empire a fee. He'd have to shake down his neighbors to, to get at that fee, and then anything extra that he could shake out was his profit. He was rich, Luke tells us, which seems to suggest he was able to shake a lot out of his neighbors. So how clean and pure could Zacchaeus really be? How innocent is this man? But then we learn he's trying to see Jesus, which is a good sign. And then there is this detail about his stature. He was short. Tells us that people didn't only look down on Zacchaeus because of his profession, they looked down on him literally. And in that time, just like our own time, those who don't fit whatever the prescribed mold is of the day, whatever we deem worthy of accommodation, they face some significant barriers. In the Bible, we can think of the, the ten lepers we met just a few weeks ago. So he's complicating. Economically, Zacchaeus was above most of his community, and every other way, he was below them. So it is any surprise, is it any surprise that a man of great wealth and power does not have a lot of maybe happiness or belonging? Zacchaeus is complicated that in that in some ways, uh, the ma that matter the most to a person feeling like a person, 
he's been kept on the margins. And Jesus, we know, has a very special interest in those kinds of folks. Zacchaeus was also better off than most. So how how much pity should we really have for a sad, rich man with all of his privilege? Complicated indeed. So enter Jesus. It is that, uh, is it, is it perhaps that Jesus uh, sees mars- marginalization and suffering where others can only see status and class and the conditions of one's life? Jesus knows the conditions of our hearts and the conditions of our lives. Jesus honors both of those things. We struggle at times to look past the surface, I think, if we're honest with ourselves. Jesus, however, knows the possibility of redemption where the community struggles to see past the labels, past the history, past our tribe. We've been following Jesus long enough to know, I think, that he is a universal savior. And that means that no one of us is going to be completely comfortable with every type of person that Jesus shows a particular interest in, including Zacchaeus. Because Jesus came to seek out and save the lost, the community that he gathers around him is one in need of healing, of redemption. Jesus builds a redemptive community He builds that redemptive community out of each of us. Just as God built all of creation out of dust. As we draw a circle around the perfect community with perhaps ourself right in the middle of it, Jesus is quick to step outside of that circle and welcome those who we'd exclude, like a wealthy chief tax collector. Vertically challenged, socially scorned, perched in a tree of all places, looking down on our Lord. Jesus calls Zacchaeus by name. He redeems him right in that moment with the sound of his voice. He redeems him in front of all of these onlookers. And and at the sound of his name on on Jesus' lips, it is clear that this child of God is pure and is innocent indeed. And so they grumble. Maybe they grumble because they know that Jesus is going to change Zacchaeus' heart, and that means that they are going to have to change their hearts too to make room for Zacchaeus. And who among us is interested in that kind of change? You know the story of Jonah in the Old Testament? So God gave Jonah this message to give to the people of Nineveh, but Jonah didn't want to be God's messenger to Nineveh uh, because Jonah didn't like Nineveh, and the message that God wanted Jonah to tell the people of Nineveh is repent or God's going to destroy you. And Jonah was perfectly fine if God destroyed the people of Nineveh. So you may remember he tried to run away. He didn't get far because God sent a fish to swallow him and take him forcibly to share the good news with the people of Nineveh that a new way of life was possible in the community of God. 
And as it plays out, Jonah reluctantly shared the message, repent and God will save you. And the people heard the message and immediately they repented. Immediately uh, they, they turned themselves back to God and God saved them. And Jonah, do you know what Jonah felt about that? He was furious. He grumbled. He prayed, oh, Lord, is not that what I said that you would do when I was still back at home in my own country? That's why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning. For I knew that you are gracious, a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger, ugh, abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. And so now Jonah says, and now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live in this mess. So maybe that's why the grumbling amongst the followers of Jesus, maybe that's why they grumbled. We'd rather not belong to a community with Zacchaeus as a part of it. And, and maybe Jonah chimes in from the grave, I'd rather die. The scene is a demonstration of just how radical Jesus's redemption is and just how consistent he is with his inclusion. Zacchaeus is no more complicated before God than any of us. And we are all transformed by Jesus's presence. Zacchaeus, no doubt, was welcomed into the eternal kingdom among the saints, a saint among saints. But Jesus' message to the grumbling crowd is that this rich man is part of this earthly redemptive community as well, and that starts today. And so are each of us. Grumble all that we might. Jesus is drawing all of creation into his heart. It's how he transforms us individually. It's how he transforms us communally. The redemptive community is one that learns to value Zacchaeus as he is today, repentant and redeemed with his uniqueness and his newness. Redemptive community is one where Zacchaeus is supported and encouraged in the journey of of living the life that Christ demands of him. As he uses his wealth, we learn, for good. As he makes amends for the wrong that he has done. That's what's so remarkable about All Saints Sunday. We know that all of those we remember today were complicated. They were human beings even as they may remain beloved in our hearts, they were as complicated as the rest of us. We could just as well as call this day All Sinners Day, but we don't because we are declaring that Jesus fundamentally transforms every aspect of creation through his life and his death and his resurrection. So that those who died as complicated human beings are made new welcomed into the eternal redemptive community where they shine in the light of all of their goodness, welcomed home to their place at the table by one who calls them by name, my child. 
For this reason, we dare call them saints. So expect that maybe, expect maybe even hope that today Jesus is transforming us by expanding our hearts by how and whom we welcome there. Expect and even hope that, that the same transforming God transforms death into life, sinners into saints, somehow even this divided somber time into something that will be beyond our imaginations. Indeed, turns our grumbling into praising. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.